All right, welcome. Welcome. Welcome, welcome to everyone. Everyone from near and far. We are, if you are here for forgiveness, you are here in the Zoom room for forgiveness and atonement in Jewish tradition, philological, Jewish tradition, philological and philosophical perspectives with Rabbi Shlomo Zukir. This is the second session. This is the second session of a three session class. And if you have tuned in for the first, if you were here for the first, glad to see you back. If you're joining us just now, welcome. Come dive in. All right. It's good. All right. I see definitely seeing some familiar faces. Welcome back. If you are again, if you are here for forgiveness and atonement in Judaism, theological and philosophical perspectives, we're glad to have you. You're in the right place. All right, and we are now live on Facebook. Welcome to, to those of us watching. To those of you watching on Facebook, welcome. Tonight's tonight's class is forgiveness and atonement in Jewish tradition, theological and philosophical 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 perspectives. It's a lot of peace. Shlomo Zakir is new teacher tonight. This is session two out of three. It's good to see you. All right, thank you so much, Kayla, and it's uh, good to have everyone back. And uh, our topic tonight uh, is going to focus on the meaning of the term mechila and how that relates to metaphors for sin. So we'll see, it'll be very interesting. And uh, um, I gave everyone homework last week, at least those who were, who were attending, um, relating to the term mechila. I asked people to find me uh, all the uh, relevant cases uh, all the relevant cases of of uh, mechila in the uh, in Gemara, uh, sorry, in Tanakh, in the Bible, and uh, what do people have anything? What 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 it's, uh, what's people's answer to the homework? All right, I, I won't embarrass people by calling on them. Um, oh, and someone someone messaged me that uh, that he cheated. So okay, fine. So at least someone someone looked into. I think cheating counts as doing the homework in this case. But we're going to talk about about the term mechila, and it's not what you think, uh, in the sense that you know we we uh, when well, let me start by sharing the screen and we'll jump in. We'll see it uh, in uh, in the sources. But when we when we think about standard terms for atonement, and forgiveness, and and those and related issues, let's say in our daily shmonesrei, thrice daily shmonesrei, slachanu avinu kichatanu mechalanu akinu kifashanu. We have these terms, slicha, mechila, uh, kapara is not here, but that's another common term. Um, so, the, you know, those are the three main terms, slicha, mechila, and kapara. Certainly, uh, and we saw these sources last time, I'm just going to quickly review them. Certainly on Yom Kippur, uh, different, different versions of the central bracha on Musaf of Yom Kippur, but uh, they all have this theme of mechila. Right, v'choseim at the end of this bracha, mochel disoleach lavonosenu. Right, blessed are you, God, who is mochel. Some term meaning something like forgiveness. We'll talk about that more. Visoleach and pardons lavonosenu our sins. Lavonosam amo Yisrael brachamim and the sins of Israel with mercy. Umechaperal pish am and atones for their violations. Melachakol aretz, king of the whole earth. Mekadesh Yisrael v'yom soma kipurim v'azmanim umikrei kodesh who sanctifies all of these holidays. That's not our version. That's a version that appears in Masechus Tanos. The text we have is closer to what uh, Seder of Amrangon has, which has uh, the word mechila not only once, but three times uh, towards the end of that. For you are the 
pardoner of Israel, Umachalan, the Shivteshrim, and the and the forgiver of the tribes of Jeshurun, Vidvarcha Emes Bakaim La'ad, your word is truth and forever lasting. We have Aldecha Imanu Melech, Mochel Vasalech, Ela'ata. Other than you, we have no other king who forgives and pardons. So this theme of Mechila is really central. Again, it's part of this trio that we've been discussing last week and today of Slicha, Mechila, and Kapara. And we tend to think of them as, you know, set in stone, all, all related, all similar. But as we've seen and as we're going to continue to see, there really are major differences. Last week, just to recap last week in one minute, we discussed uh, how the terms Kapara and Slicha in the Torah seem to mean distinct things. Kapara seems to really focus on, uh, on the, the uh, putting of blood on the Mizbeach by the Kohanim as part of the atonement process. And Slicha is what results from that, where Hashem, where God pardons the sinner. We do have those terms outside of the context of, of a ritual sacrifice. That's sort of the central context in Tanakh. Once we get to post-Tanakh, there are two, the two terms uh, merged together in terms of meaning. They, they really seem to mean just this idea of pardon. Uh, and to, to be less focused on this idea of uh, cleansing the Mizbeach and the Kodesh. But Chazal, when, they, uh, when Chazal talk about Karbanos, atonement in general, use the term Kapara, whereas the liturgy more frequently, uh, our sitter tends to use the word, uh, the word Slicha. So that's a very interesting divergence and convergence simultaneously between Slicha and uh, Kapara. And today we're going to talk about Mechila. And that's why I, the homework was to look at where Mechila appears in Tanakh. And uh, the, it was a trick question. And I think actually it came up uh, somehow on Facebook during the week, someone, someone else posted uh, related issues. The, the term Mechila does not appear in Tanakh. Right? And that's, uh, that's probably surprising. We're all, we're used to it. It's such a, it's such a central part of davening. How could it not be in Tanakh? It's a, but that's the truth. It only enters the Hebrew language at a later point in time. It's not in Tanakh. So we're gonna have to figure out what exactly it means and how it fits with other uh, concepts of atonement. In order to do that, we have a bit of a detour. It's not really a detour because it's, it's uh, really fundamentally central to our overall topic of, of uh, understanding forgiveness and atonement overall. But we're gonna look at the metaphors of sin and the metaphors for the resolution of sin. In order to understand kapara, slicha, and especially mechila, we first need to understand sin, how, how sins, how violations are understood. And we're going to look at both of those through the through metaphor, through the categories of metaphor that are uh, that are used to present them. And uh, in doing this, we're going to follow a very uh, fascinating and I think very important book by Gary Anderson, who's a new colleague of mine uh, at Notre Dame, Sin: A History. Um, and uh, you know, it's, he's the author of Sin, as he likes to say, uh, the book. And um, and uh, as we'll as we'll see, he has uh, some very important theories as to how to understand, how to think about sin and atonement, and how it's formulated uh, throughout, uh, throughout Tanakh and uh, beyond into the Second Temple period and Chazal. So he writes in his seminal work, The Symbolism of Evil, Paul Ricoeur takes this point further. He says, philosophers have no direct and unmediated access to the semantic content of ideas such as fault, sin, error, and their consequent rectification, i.e. forgiveness. Meaning you can't just think about what it means to, to sin and fix it or, you know, and rectify it. There's no, there, you can't just philosophize about that in a vacuum. All that stands at our disposal are metaphors that serve as building blocks for larger narrative complexes. The way to get at understanding what sin is and what atonement is, is precisely by looking at the metaphors that are used for them. To understand what a sin is, one must begin with the terminology deployed by a particular writer. Once one grasps the concrete nature of these metaphors, one can see how they're deployed in narratives. And you see the, the fact that there's such a focus on, uh, on how each writer presents it uh, really, really uh, highlights this idea that there's not, it's not like there's one objective definition of sin. There are multiple possible understandings of what sin is. And in different contexts, different aspects will be highlighted, uh, which is really a, a fascinating idea. And uh, so we're going we're gonna to take this direction and, uh, and run with it. In exploring some of the uh, some of the metaphors for sin uh, that uh, that appear in Tanakh, and uh, as as always, I hope this is interactive and everyone's uh, encouraged, if possible, to turn on the, the, the camera. I'm going to be asking people what they think 
along the way. So uh, get uh, get ready, especially if you didn't do your homework. You have to you have to you know make up for it now or something like that. So let's let's jump right in and look at uh, look at different biblical cases uh, that that discuss sin and how it's understood. And this will be throughout all throughout Tanakh. So you know Torah, Nevi'im, uh, some cases from Tehillim, really all over. But uh, at these unique uh, or not maybe not necessarily unique but distinct uh, accounts of what sin is and what sin's resolution is uh, to be understood at. So this is Yirmiyahu, one of the early pieces in Sefer Yirmiyahu. And uh, right, I planted you uh, like, uh, like a great vine, a true plant, and you, you're rebelling, you've turned away. And he says, even if you wash yourself with Nesser, with uh, natron, whatever, some strong soap-like thing, the Sarbi Lach Boris, and you use a lot of lye, again, another form of soap, clean yourself as much as you will, your sin is nichtam, like, like kesem, ketem, right? It's a, it's a, uh, it's a stain, right? It's this, it's this colored stain that you can't quite rub out of your skin. Your sin is, uh, well, here the English says, your guilt is ingrained before me, but I think it's more than ingrained. It's really a stain uh, before me, new uh, Hashem says God. How can you say I wasn't defiled? I didn't follow uh, the Baal idols. You know, you, you know what you did. You're guilty and you're, uh, you're lustful. So there's other things going on. There's a, there's a uh, I guess, a uh, lustful, a sexual element here as well. But for our Pasuk, Pasuk of Bez, this idea of nichtam avonech lefanai, when the sin itself is described, right? Your sin is, uh, is nichtam, is this, is this uh, stain, is this color before me. And this, of course, the metaphor here is that sin is a stain. Um, and we'll talk in a minute about how one gets rid of a stain, um, right? But before we do that, uh, you know, uh, not just in Tanakh do we have this, of course, uh, Macbeth, right? Lady Macbeth, after, after the murder, tries to wash her hands uh, of the sin, right? This feeling of, you know, uh, I don't know, yuckiness. I don't know if that's the technical term, but somehow the, the, the sin is ingrained in her hands and maybe represented by the blood uh, that, that theme is, I mean, I, I assume uh, Shakespeare read the Bible, that, that theme is picked up uh, in, uh, in, in Macbeth as well. Um, but before we do that, I, I love this Gemara, source number six, a Chazal, how Chazal read this, they take it in a whole new direction of, uh, of what the metaphor of sin is here. We're not going to go too far with this, just mention it quickly. How do we know that a decree a decree for the punishment of the community, that never gets sealed. You can always override that. What do you mean it can't be sealed? The Pesach says, The Pesach says explicitly, no matter how much you wash out the sin, it is sealed, it's before me. Now, there's obviously a play on words here, right? with a kaf versus with a ches are two different words. Right, but uh, this is, I guess, a midrash of sorts to read nichtam with a kaf as nechtam with a ches. And you know, the way we pronounce ches and, and kaf, they sound actually pretty similar, although one's a chirik and one's a segol. But uh, that's, the, that's the pun. And what ends up happening is, what's the metaphor of sin? You know, sin is almost like a uh, verdict, right? Signed, sealed, delivered. Uh, Ella, so, so what do you mean? But Right, so what do you mean uh, the, the sin of the community can't be sealed? It can be. It says, How do I know that even if it's, if it's signed, if it's sealed, rather, uh, it can then be ripped up, right? Like, again, the king signs a proclamation, seals it, it's done, but it's not done. You can always rip it up. Who is like God uh, every time we call to him. You can always call to God. There's always a last resort. So the Gemara takes this in a whole new direction. Again, this is not shot in the Pasuk, um, and uh, we're not going to explore this metaphor for sin further of, of being a sealed uh, verdict, but uh, you, you see how there's a, a lot of uh, room for play here from nichtam to nechtam. But going back to our basic theme of, uh, for now, of the idea of sin as a uh, sin as a stain, so one way of getting rid of a stain is to clean it or wipe it away cleansing or wiping away sin, right? So this is, uh, and there are many different verbs that, uh, that mean to wipe away or to clean and that are applied to sin. We'll, we'll look at some of them here. 
right? Uh, grant me grace or mercy. Uh, God, like your, like your love, uh, like your great uh, mercy, wipe away my sin. Mechei, right? Mechei means wipe, wipe away or erase uh, my sin. Herev kabseni me'avoni, right? Muchly, wash me of my sin. Again, that same idea, wipe it away, wash it. And purify me from uh, my violation. Litaher to purify. We're not going to get into that because it, it can mean multiple things. So it's it's hard to prove anything from the taher because uh, it can mean to clean something. But it also mean to purify in a more ritual sense. But uh, here the, the verb mechei, the verb kabseni, both uh, both clearly mean to wipe away. And this is the theme. If sin is a stain, you have to wipe it away. It might be impossible to wipe away, but you do you do your best. Or uh, this next pasuk, source number eight in your miyahu. Right? Don't atone for their sin. Again, kaper seems relatively vague here. And it says, al temchi, don't mache again to wipe away. So we see that uh, atonement, kaper, which again can mean multiple things. We'll get into the etymology of the term in a few minutes. But in general, kapara has a general sense of meaning atonement overall. Is compared to this idea of wiping away, uh, wiping away the sin. I see there was a question. Why doesn't the same principle apply to individuals? I assume you mean the principle uh, that uh, there's always a chance to, to repent. The truth is, some gemaras do indicate that there's always that opportunity for the individual. Uh, some gemaras seem to imply that it's only uh, during a sarasimei tshuva, the ten days of repentance. But that's a different uh, different topic for a different year. So we'll have to we'll have to hold off on that. But uh, it's a fair question. Um, yeah, okay, and now let's think about what the term kaper means, right? As we saw, um, right, oh well, yeah, so let's read, let's read Milgram uh, in his discussion of the term kaper and its etymology. We talked about this a little bit last week, right? We talked about how kaper means to cleanse the Mizbeach, which then leads to, uh, right, which then leads to uh, uh, being, uh, uh, being pardoned by God. But what's the etymology of kaper? So he says, atone or expiate is the customary translation for kaper. In most cases, this is incorrect. In biblical poetry, its parallel synonym is usually macha to wipe. As we saw, um, as we saw in the passage we just read, right? Right? Don't wipe away, don't be kaper, and don't be moche. So, or hesir to remove, right? Remove, wipe. Those are synonyms for kaper, suggesting that kaper means purge, right? Get rid of the dirt, clean something. Ritual texts also support this meaning. For they regularly couple kiper with tihar and chite, purify, de decontaminate. So it seems like, and there also are, uh, you know, Hittite texts where the kup, uh, or is it, is it Akkadian texts, or maybe both, where uh, the term kupuru uh, comes up, and uh, it means to, it seems to mean a similar thing, to wipe away and thereby cleanse. So, um, so the the most famous term for atonement, kaper. Uh, similarly comes from this meaning of to wipe away or to cleanse sin. As we saw last week with Milgram, uh, the understanding is that sin causes there to be this miasma, this uh, yuckiness uh, that attaches itself to the Mizbeach and to the Mikdash uh, and to the Sancta, the different, uh, the different uh, Kodesh aspects of the temple. And you need to wipe that out and cleanse it. It's not a physical dirt. It's this uh, spiritual dirt, so to speak, that you cleanse by putting blood on the altar. Um, and a couple more cases of this, again, very common, uh, common concept of sin as uh, sin as a stain that needs to be cleansed and atonement as cleaning it. Right? David said to Nathan, I have sinned. Um, Hashem, God has passed away, has wiped away, as it were, your sin, you won't die, right? your sin has been re resolved. Or in Zechariah, I have passed away, I've taken away from you your sin. But here, maybe it's worth reading a bit more context because uh, really the metaphor is very uh, deeply spelled out. It's really, uh, uh, right, he has this vision. Zechariah has this vision. He has a vision of Joshua the high priest, standing in front of uh, the uh, divine angel. And this uh, Satan character. Right, Hashem is rebuking the uh, Satan. Fine, but now getting to to our specific case, Yoshua, Yoshua, the high priest, the Kohen Gadol, was wearing 
these dirty clothes, and standing in front of the angel. Why is he wearing dirty clothes? It's symbolic of the sins of him and or Israel. He responded to those standing before him. Take these dirty clothes off of, off of him. Right now I've removed your sin because your dirty clothes represented sin clearly. And now you can put on nice clothes. And then he puts on a pure, uh, a pure uh, 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 head, a head uh, thing, a diadem, a crown and, uh, and, uh, and clothes. And, but the metaphor is played out in full detail, right? The Kohen Gadol representing Israel is wearing dirty clothes. They take off the dirty clothes. They say your sin is removed. They put on clean clothes. That's this idea in, in full detail uh, that sin is about, uh, sin is about becoming dirty and the atonement is about cleansing it. And now the final case, and this is a famous Pasuk, right? I have wiped away like a cloud your sin and like uh, another cloud, like a mist, your violations return to me, I have redeemed you. And here the, it's a sort of a funny metaphor because it's saying how easy it is for God to wipe away the sin, wipe away the sin, but it does so precisely by by comparing the sin not to a deep stain but to a mere cloud. Um, it's an interesting uh, interesting direction uh, of the metaphor that the metaphor takes here. But this is a very clear uh, a clear paradigm throughout Tanakh that's uh, worth recognizing throughout all of these cases. Um, okay. So uh, I think we'll pause now for any questions. I see there is an extended comment. All right, Shakespeare maybe couldn't read. Um, interesting. Uh, he certainly was aware of the biblical stories in one way or another, but an interesting point. Any other questions or comments on what we've seen so far? Again, uh, first we started with the question of where does Mechila come from? It's not a biblical term, but it's all over our tefillos, especially in Yom Kippur. And uh, where does the term come from? And we started talking about the importance of thinking about metaphors for sin and for the resolution of sin. And we've explored this first metaphor, sin is a stain, and it's wiped away in a variety of ways. Moche, kaper, uh, maybe even tihar, evir, um, all of these different verbs to take away and remove the sin. Uh, so any questions or thoughts on all of this? Okay, maybe the, uh, the ideas are so clear, but uh, everyone's, everyone's welcome to uh, jump in. I'm sure there's uh, some, some uh, thoughts people have. Um, if not, we'll, uh, we'll move forward. Let's move to our next metaphor. And uh, it really comes back to this phrase. This phrase is also very common, basically this one phrase instead of multiple different verbs like we had before, but this idea of nasa avono, right? Here's one example of many. Right, if a person sins, uh, and uh, let's say the specifics here are, you know, testimony, and someone sort of uh, uh, adjures you, they say, you know, I swear you know something and you better say it, and if you don't, you're violating my oath, uh, and then you say, you don't say anything. If you don't tell this testimony that you know, you, you uh, well, so what does nasavono mean? So what is avon? Now you're going to help me out. What does avon mean? Not all at once. Wasn't a trick question. Right, avon means iniquity, sin. Great, yes, thank you, Eliana. And uh, what does nasa mean? To carry, right? So you carry your sin. So this is another metaphor for sin. Thank you, Ozzy, for that, right? Or sin as a burden. I think that's uh, Anderson's formulation as well, right? You sin, it's like, uh, you know, it's, I think even in Yiddish, they use this term. It's like your pekala. It's your, it's your, the thing you're carrying, your, uh, what's a good word for pekala? Your, I guess, burden. There's probably a different term also, but that's what you're, that's what you carry with you. Sorry? Albatross. Albatross, but albatrosses aren't heavy. Um, <laughs> Otherwise, it would work well. It, it, it functions similarly, but the metaphor is distinct. Um, yeah, so it's your, this is, you, you bear your sin, right? To bear guilt or to bear a sin, right? It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean like bear. It also doesn't, it, you know, if we sort of use the term, we don't think about it. To bear means to carry. You bear your sin, it means you carry 
your sin. Your sin is a, is a bag of bricks on your back that you have to carry around. That's this idea of Nasavono. I'll give another example. Source 14. If you don't uh, become pure, you bear your sin. Again, many places it appears, often it appears in parallel to Kaper. Um, and this is going to get more complicated in a second. But first, Nasavono, to bear sin as a sense of punishment, we have this here. And the same metaphor in slightly different language. This is much less common. But, uh, uh, oh, Einer had sein Peckel. Thank you, Philip. And that means, right, you, you, you're holding your package, your package of, uh, of suffering, of, uh, of, of the things you did wrong and what you, your, your recompense is for them. Um, great. So let's look at Yeshayahu here, source 15. Again, most cases of this are nasavono, but here's a slightly different term that, that's really a fascinating uh, insight, offers a fascinating insight here. Uh, this is the beginning of Yeshayahu. He's attacking uh, insincere religiosity in various ways. And uh, right, the people rebelled. They're 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 uh, they're worse than an ox. They don't know their their master. And he says, "Hoy goy chotei, am keved avon." Right, uh, woe, sinful nation. I'm keved avon, a nation that is keved avon of heavy sin. The sin is heavy, right? Sins can be heavy. Why? Because sins are burdens. You're carrying them on your back. A heavy sin means a bad sin. It's heavier. It's worse. It's a bigger. It's a bigger peckle. Uh, the, right, and it goes on talking about the sin further, but that's that's the same metaphor in different language. And again, another another uh, 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 term in the story of Cain and Hevel. Cain, after uh, after having killed Hevel, uh, and they get the whole speech, and then Cain gets all nervous. He says, "My sin is too great to bear. It's too much to carry." Right. My sin, my punishment, uh, you know, the two avon can mean both. We'll talk about that more in a second. My sin slash punishment is too great to bear. You know, you're, you're kicking me out. I'm going to get in trouble. It's too much. So again, this idea that sin and its punishment that comes along with it is this burden, right? It, you break your back when you sin. It becomes this big boulder and you carry it uh, for the rest of your life. Uh, like an albatross, but an albatross that's very, very heavy. Um, so, uh, so that's... That's this metaphor. Now, let's get to, what gets tricky here is that when we talk about unloading the burden of sin, right? How do you atone for sin, or how do you undo a sin? If sin is a burden, that's the metaphor. What's the burden for undoing sin? And sure enough, it's the same exact term of nasa avon. Um, to, for example, source eighteen, nasa aharon es avon akadoshim. Right, Aaron, by wearing this uh, tzitz, this gold plate on his forehead, he bears the sin of the holy things. He's, and that, that's a good thing in this case, right? Nasavon here is a good thing. Aaron does what he's supposed to do. He puts on the tzitz and that resolves all the sins involving kachim, involving the holy things. Or similar, similar, not precisely the same language uh, in a non-sacrificial context, uh, interpersonal context, right? Paro says, I sinned against God, I sinned against you. Moshe, please, or, or God, maybe, I don't know, someone, please lift my sin, right? Undo my sin, let, let, get rid of it. So that, uh, you know, and again, just remove from me this debt of, of the plague that was ongoing at the time. So again, the same language of no say, no say to pick up sin or, or guilt means not only to bear the, to bear your sin and be punished for it, but it also can mean to undo the, uh, the bearing of the sin, to undo the guilt, to undo the punishment. So this is a, a really a fascinating uh, and uh, unusual, unusual situation here. How does this make any sense, right? Usually uh, terms don't mean their exact opposite, certainly not such complex terms like this. Um, so uh, uh, there's a solution uh, by Baruch Schwartz that uh, Anderson quotes, very interesting solution. So we'll just read, we'll read the quote. Uh, that discusses this. Yes, in the context of mercy, nasa takes on the extended meaning of forgive, right? Nasa avon, you forgive the sin, whereas avon retains its primary meaning of sin, right? So nasa avon means to forgive a sin. We'll talk about how the metaphor works in a second. But in the context of punishment, the verb retains its original meaning to bear or carry, right? Nasa avon as a punishment means you carry, whereas the noun avon assumes its secondary meaning of punishment. You carry your sin, your punishment. Right? So nasavon can mean to forgive a sin, or it can mean to carry or to bear 
of punishment, which are really opposite points. How does this work? Uh, the mixture of primary and secondary meanings in each idiom appears arbitrary. It's an odd way to explain the growth of the idiom, but Schwartz suggests that it really depends on how the verb nasa functions in conventional discourse. What does nasa mean generally? So I think uh, Ozzy before said nasa means to carry. Carry can mean, you know, usually carry means like you're holding the thing the whole time. But nasa can mean that. Nasa can also mean not to carry, but to pick up, right? Nasa literally means to pick up. Now, sometimes you pick up something because you're about to carry it. Sometimes you pick up something because you're not about to carry it. You want to put it down, or you have to pick it up before you put it down off your back. So, um, I mean, to some, uh, and I see John's question. Some of you, this is semantics, right? You say it means to carry or not to carry. But if, if nasa means to pick up, nasa can mean pick up and carry, or it can mean pick up and remove from your back and precisely not carry. So since nasa has these two opposite meanings, attach it to avon, and it also will have both opposite meanings. So nasa avon can mean to bear your sin and thereby be punished. It can also mean nasa avon to pick up the burden off your back and avoid being punished. Often one person can be no say someone else's avon. You can remove someone else's sin, or at least they hope you do. Um, but that's that's how this works. Really, really interesting how the same term nasa avon can mean uh, its own opposite, uh, given these uh, linguistic details. But let's move now to our next metaphor, sending away sin. And this, uh, as we'll see, is uh, is very timely uh, with Yom Kippur coming up and, uh, and a variety of other things. Um, but let's read this Pasuk from, these Pasukim from Micha, and uh, keep in mind, you know, have your, uh, have your, uh, your uh, Tashlich, uh, turn on your Tashlich switch for those who do Tashlich. Uh, I don't know, some people don't. It's controversial, so I don't want to presume anything. But for those who do Tashlich or know what Tashlich is, um, so it says, Mikel Kamocha, Pesha, Who is a God like you? Uh, what a great God who, who, again, this idea of removing the sin, and passes over iniquity, right? So that, I guess this is a different metaphor for uh, ignoring sins. We'll talk about ignoring a bit more in a bit. Uh, for the uh, remainder of his people. He doesn't hold on to his anger forever because he likes uh, loving kindness. He'll change his mind and have mercy. will subdue or hide or cover here in the translation, cover our sin. And now, and all of their sins, by which it means, I mean, all of the Jewish people's sins, uh, should be sent into the depths of the sea, right? This is where the word tashlich comes from, right? Tashlich, v'sashlich, yam Fine, give faith to Jacob, uh, loving kindness to Abraham. But uh, what does this mean for your throwing away the sin into the depths? So what's the metaphor for sin here? Right, sin is something, it's not, sin is something bad. Maybe it's a stain, uh, maybe it's a burden, but probably something like a stain or something unseemly. And that's why the two metaphors here, you know, the one I highlighted is tashlich, or to be thrown far away under the sea, um, right? They should do, uh, they should make a, a special under the sea about uh, tashlich based on this pasuk. Um, But uh, I don't know how well that would do. But the other metaphor is yichbosh abonosenu, right? To hide to hide the sins, to cover them over, uh, to suppress them. Because right, if sin is something that, uh, that uh, is bad, is, uh, is unseemly in one way or another, and we don't, it's not clear exactly what the metaphor for sin is here, but what you would want to do is throw it far away, maybe hide it, maybe also over al pesha for that matter, right? Over is to skip over it, to ignore it. What you want to do is you want to somehow ignore it, whether by passing over it, by uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, subduing it or, or covering it, throwing it under the sea, that's uh, one way of sending away sin or maybe overlooking sin. And there's a little bit of overlap there um, between these ideas. But then we have a, a, more, a more specific sense, a more detailed idea where we were very explicit about how we're going to take the sin and throw it away, literally. This is on Yom Kippur, maybe one of the highlights of the Yom Kippur service after doing the Kapara and the Kodesh with the Seer, uh, the Seer uh, Pnim, Right, the, the Sir La Hashem. He then goes to the Sir Achai, to the living goat, the one that's going to be the Sir La Zazel. He does smicha, he puts his hands 
on the goat for the purposes of the Hisvadalav, and he, he recites confession. All of the sins of the Jewish people in those different formulations. He puts them on the head of this goat, right? It's almost it's like a physical process almost, right? The Kohen takes his hands and uh, you know projects the sins onto the head of the goat. He sends it out with the appointed person into the desert. So you put the sins on the goat, you send the goat into the desert. The whole point of this goat as the Torah tells us, is it carries all the sins to a faraway land, right? It gets them away. The point is to get rid of them, to get them far away. Um, and uh, Xerah is desolate, desolate, empty, right? Um, and maybe the uh, the sins, uh, you know, maybe this, what, what you put on the goat is like a sort of poison. And uh, as long as it's far away from society, it won't cause any problems. So this is the term, the same verb nasa appears here to carry, but it's not carrying in the simple sense of taking the burden off my back. This is carrying in the sense of getting it as far away as possible, right? Taking the sin and getting it, uh, getting it away, removing the sin. Well, what's interesting is on Yom Kippur, I didn't cite the previous Shubsukim, but they're all about doing kapara. We talked about this last week. Well, we sort of even have it here. Bechila mi kaper esakodesh, right? He finishes the kapara part of things. That's the first part, right? The first part is you do all sorts of intensive uh, blood uh, blood uh, processing, right? You, you shech the animal, you take the blood, you throw it on the, you know, on, on the mizbech, on the kaporas, on, you go to all the different places with the blood. And that is kapara style, where you're wiping the sin, getting it out. Part two is where you send the sin far away. Different ways of understanding these two, these two things. So the one view, I think this is Baruch Schwartz's view, is that one leads to the other. First, you take, you use the, the, the blood rituals, you use the chatas, uh, the seir lashem, to remove all the, the miasma, all of the poison that comes from sin from the Kodesh and Kodesh Kadashim. Once you get all the sin out, then what are you going to do with it? You're not going to leave it here. So you put it on the Sayer Lazazel and send it far away. That the two stages are working together. It's not clear that that's true. Maybe it's just two steps that are, that are uh, distinct from one another in parallel, not sequential. Maybe you do a Kapara, you wipe away some sin, and then you do a, a, a Sayer Lazazel or whatever you want to call it where you send away, uh, it carries it away uh, to somewhere else. I see, um, okay, uh, yeah, Ozzy's asking the question, carrying someone else's sin sounds a little Christian. Um, so it, it could be that it does. I mean, it definitely sounds Christian. The reason why it sounds Christian, I mean, the, the Christians got this idea from uh, this source, right? Uh, I know several people, who, uh, several colleagues of mine who have worked on Christian readings of these very psukim of the Sir Lazazel. Um, so it's very clear this idea of carrying sins comes from, this is one of the main proof texts, the Sir Lazazel. There also are uh, some of the, the psukim in, uh, in Yeshayahu talk about a person, it seems to be a person carrying uh, sins um, so, uh, or bearing sins. So that's another, another source text. But the idea is, is profoundly biblical. Uh, before, before Christians uh, took it on, obviously, they uh, took it on in a specific way, as, as you mentioned in your comment, Ozzy. Um, but the idea of sins being carried away uh, is, is explicit here. So, you know, just because uh, Christians have a certain belief doesn't mean it's not, uh, it's not uh, originally a, a biblical and, uh, and Jewish belief. Um, but this is another metaphor of sin, sending the sin away, throwing it away. And again, that, that doesn't correlate necessarily to a specific metaphor for sin, but it definitely is a clear metaphor for how to get rid of the sin or maybe more than the metaphor. It depends on how you think about this. Is it really like metaphysically you are sending the sin? The sin is somehow here and you're sending it away. Um, or maybe it's just a metaphor. Uh, you know, that's more of a theological question. It's hard to, hard to really uh, evaluate that question, um, uh, you know, as to what's, what's really happening behind the scenes. Um, any questions on all of this so far? Okay, a quiet crowd today. Um, that's all right. Let's, uh, let's uh, jump forward to uh, one more metaphor, maybe the most important one for today, uh, which is the idea of sin as debt. And of course, the res resolution for debt is you have to pay for your sin. And of course, I, I, didn't, I haven't been saying this as we go along. A lot of these metaphors work very well in English, right? You did this wrong, you're going to pay for this, right? Well, that means you did something wrong, you now have, you now owe me, right? Again, these are all phrases in English that work very well with 
some biblical accounts of sin, as we'll see. Um, you know, some of the other ones as well, right? I did something wrong. I feel yucky now, right? Where does that come from? This idea of sin as a stain or doing something wrong uh, as, as being a stain. Again, this is too much to bear. Uh, that's more on the punishment side. Um, uh, but, or I feel heavy. I feel very heavy about what I did, right? That could be this idea of, of bearing the sin. Um, so a lot of these things exist in English and I don't know, it's hard to evaluate whether that's like the influence of you know, biblical translation, the King James on the English language or whether, uh, or biblical ideas generally, or if it's just a coincidence um, or just you know, parallels in interpreting human phenomena. But a lot of these ideas exist in English as well. In any event, let's jump in to the Hebrew. Uh, a not too long ago, Haftarah, Nachamu, Nachamu, Ami, comfort my people. So how should you, right? Nachamu, Nachamu doesn't mean be comforted, as many people think. It means comfort. It's an imperative, right? You comfort them. Uh, so it's talking almost to the to the prophet, uh, to the Navi, right? So Yeshua was almost repeating what Hashem is telling him to do. Um, so what should you do, prophet? Speak to the heart of Jerusalem, right? The Jews in Jerusalem. Tell them. Or call out to them, Kimala Siva, right? The tzava, right? The army, the, the service. Uh, their service is filled out, is over. Nirtsa Avona. Um, okay, I don't love the translation here. Expiated is sort of ambiguous, but Nirtsa Avona, the way uh, the way uh, Anderson argues should be translated, right? Lirtsos uh, can mean the, the root Rash Sadihe can mean to uh, satisfy something. So Nirtsa Avona. It's sin has been satisfied. What does it mean you satisfy a sin? It means you pay for it, right? You can satisfy a debt by paying for it. You can satisfy, if sin is a debt, you can satisfy a sin by paying for it. How did you pay for the sin? What does it mean to pay for a sin? Not only did they pay, they paid in double. They suffered, they, they were punished, they received recompense twice as bad as they deserved because of the sin. So therefore, it's over. Right, the period of gallows, the period of suffering is over, and uh, you can now return because you've been punished more than enough. But this idea of nirtzav, not paying for a sin, implies that sin is a debt or sin incurs a debt. If I do something wrong to you, I owe you. Right. So if I sin against God, I owe God, and uh, not not that sort of owe God. You know, I owe God with a W, and uh, and therefore you need to pay for it. Now, how do you pay for it? Well, the easiest way, or the, the, I guess the not so easy way is to get punished. And that's one way of paying. Similarly, in Vayikra Perek Kavav, um, uh, so this is the, what's known as the Tochecha, or the first Tochecha in, uh, in Sefer Vayikra. It talks about Hashem is gonna destroy the whole world, or not the whole world, the land, Eretz Yisrael, and send the people among the nations and uh, send the sword after them. Basically, there'll be a mass, a mass gallus, a mass, a, ma a mass exodus from the land. Then the land will be satisfied in terms of its Shabbos, in terms of its Shemitah. It's very timely. We're about to start Shemitah. Um, right? And uh, you didn't take a break for the Shemitah year. So the land is going to reclaim its time. Right? It's going to take back its Shemitah years by killing, by kicking you out, and then taking those years. But here, the idea of tirzeh is to pay, or to it's to be satisfied, or to satisfy the debt from you sinning and not keeping the shemitah. Although this is a bit of an unusual case because it's a specific amount of time that you didn't spend doing something. But later in this passage, it talks about sin more generally. Although we punished yet again. Um, Maybe then there. Uh, their uh, uncircumcised heart will subdue itself. And then they'll pay for their sin. Maybe after enough punishment, they'll finally pay for their sin. Uh, it repeats both of these themes again, the idea of paying for sin in the specific Shemitah context and paying for sin in general. So this idea of sin uh, as a debt and that one that you can pay for is very important. And this idea extends very, uh, very significantly in rabbinic literature. Again, Baruch Schwartz, he says the sinner is called chayav, or obligated, obligated because he must repay his debt. Right, you're chayav if you have to do something. Uh, right, there's two types of chayav in rabbinic literature. This is very confusing to my daughter. Um, but right, you know, chayav can mean that you have to do something. Right, you have to, I don't know, uh, 
uh, you have a, you're chayav to say Kriyashma in the morning or something like that. That's one sort of ob- chayav as obligation. But then you're also chayav if you sin. You're chayav, you are guilty. So chayav can mean guilty as well. How does that make any sense? And so the sinners called chayav are obligated because he must repay his debt. When you sin, you are guilty because you owe, you owe something uh, to God. And the term chayav, before it comes to mean obligated or guilty or any of these things, comes up in a monetary context, right? If I borrow money, I'm chayav to pay you back the money. That's, that's rabbinic, rabbinic formulation. Um, that's the original formulation, the monetary one, uh, at least that's the sort of the base one on which this metaphor is resting. So the one who owes a sin offering or reparation offering must pay with the respective form of sacrifice. Um, one who owes a beating, right? You're chayav malkos. What does it mean you owe a beating? What does that even mean? Because you have to, you, you owe because of the sin you did and you pay for it with the lashing of a body of the body. One who owes death, chayav misa, must pay with his life. One who owes chayav kares must pay after his death. So that's a you know an important insight. You don't usually think about this uh, about you know why the what the word chayav means and how that works. But he says once it becomes commonplace to think of sin as debt, the next step, how do you fix that other than by being punished, other than the hard way? The idea that virtuous activity generates a credit appears. Right, you can right if it's if it's uh, money is fungible, right? So if if sin is a debt or creates a debt, that's also fungible. You can pay for that not just with physical mortal punishment, but you can pay for it in other ways too. Um, and that's the idea of virtuous activity. You can do mitzvos to create a credit. And this is there's an idiom here which he says the antonym of chov is schus. Right, you have a chov, you have a debt. You can have a schus. You can have credit to pay back your debt. And he traces this idea originally to Daniel. Your sin with staka, with charity, uh, trade it in, right? Cancel it out. Pay for your sin with staka. And uh, actually has a whole other book on, on staka, how staka can be used to pay for sin. It's a good way of getting out of sin without being punished because sin creates a debt. So, and you need credits. Where do you get credits from? Doing mitzvos. Especially tzedakah, that cancels out. Uh, that cancels out the debt. Uh, we're short on time, so we're just going to very quickly skim the next bit. Um, one point here: erpam uh, meshuva sam. That talking about sin. It's sort of another, quickly another metaphor. I will heal, heal, right? Like refua, their backsliding. This seems to imply that sin can also be thought of as a disease, a disease that can be healed, which is uh, an interesting. Uh, an interesting point as well. We're not going to have time to get into that, um, but uh, another another idea. And right, uh, Tehillim here, source 28, Nisui Pesha, to lift up the sin, Kisui Chata'a, to cover the sin. Those two are sort of mixing metaphors here, but if you want just the sin to not be there, you can either pick it up and put it away, or you can cover it up. Those two may go together. But let's return to our original question now of what is Mechila all about? Um, okay. What is Mechila all about? So, uh, so uh, Anderson makes the argument that this, this idea of sin as debt, and then the idea of using credit to resolve it, this really takes off in the second temple period and forward. That's his argument. And we'll develop that a bit and see how that takes us to Mechila. So he writes, in Aramaic, the word for a debt that one owes a lender, chova, is a standard term denoting sin, uh, and it has a double meaning, sin in second temple Hebrew. Now, in rabbinic Hebrew, sin as a weight rarely appears. It's replaced by the idea of sin as a debt. That's his argument that he develops at length in the book. Um, and he says, if you look at it, and we'll, there are a couple of examples we're not going to have time to read inside, the phrase nasa avon, right, to, to bear a sin, right, to bear the sin, to carry that sin on your back as punishment, that becomes in Aramaic, kabel chova, right, to assume a debt. So, it's essentially a shift from one metaphor of sin, burden, to a different metaphor of sin uh, as debt, which is, and, and, and as that shifts, that's very, very interesting and very impactful on how sin is understood. Um, and then as much as there's kabel chova to assume a debt, we also have in Aramaic, shivak chova, right? Shivak is to remit a debt or to get rid of a debt. And, um, right, if you, uh, if you choose, you can also, Say you don't want to collect a debt, right? You you forgive a debt. That's the English word, right? You can forgive a someone's uh, someone owes you money. You can forgive uh, the loan, or you can forgive a loan. 
So how would you say forgive alone in Aramaic? You'd say Shabbat Chova. How would you say forgive alone in Hebrew? Hold that, hold that thought for a second. So just here are some of the examples he, he points to. Nasa Avon becomes Vikabel Chovei. Um, Sa Pesha becomes Shvok uh, Chovei. So that's, you know, Uncleus goes in that direction in a couple of places. And, and now the point is, this linguistic move is not simply the Aramaic Targum, it's based in rabbinic Hebrew, right? This idea of Chayev and Chov uh, works as well. So uh, there's four examples that Anderson points to that represent this shift and its implications. One is the payment of a bill. Uh, your porea achov, you pay back your bill, but also peranus, right? Punishment, recompense, right? Uh, the idea of being punished for your sins is the same term as paying back a loan. Very interesting, because sin is a debt. So you pay back your debts, you get punished for your sins, it's the same point. Um, also, in the second, the act of collecting payment, govet, you collect your, uh, you collect on a loan, you also collect on a sin, by, by, you get, you know, if God collects on your sin, that means you're punished. The state of being indebted, chayev, we discussed that before. And now fourth, and most important for us, the act of releasing someone from the obligation to repay a debt. And he goes on and spells this out. The act of releasing someone from the obligation to pay a debt, the verb machal, here we go, means to cancel a bond of indebtedness in its literal sense. Shivak in Aramaic becomes machal in Hebrew, not biblical Hebrew, because the term doesn't exist, in Second Temple and Rabbinic Hebrew. So mochel, you can be mochel a loan, you can forgive a loan. And again, in English, English took this on. The word forgive, you can forgive alone. The word even means, like think about the etymology in the English, right? Forgive, like to give forth, to give it away. You're giving away the debt that this person owes you, right? You're forgiving the loan and that's mochel the chov. And you're also mochel chov in a context of sin. If someone sins, that's a chov. Hashem can choose to be mochel the chov. Hashem can choose to forgive the debt or forgive the sin. It's the, same, uh, it's the same idea. The metaphor for sin is debt. The metaphor for forgiveness of sin is forgiveness of debt. It's mechila. That's what mechila is all about. And there's some examples um, in, in Chazal. First one, uh, just in a totally financial sense, shtar shalava bo ufrao, a, 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 a shtar, a, a document that you borrowed with and then paid back, you can't use that same shtar again, shikar nimchal shiabudo. It's uh, it's shibud, it's security. Uh, the, uh, um, the yeah, that, that's already been given up, right? So that's nimchal. So again, we have the term uh, uh, priya, uh, right, to pay back. And we have the idea of mechila. And of course, the term shibud, which can mean a debt. So that's in, in the financial context, but more uh, more to our purposes in the religious context. I'm Rav Tanhum and Hanilai. Eina gishamim yardim, Rain doesn't come down. Until and unless Israel's sins are forgiven. It takes the idea of forgiving sin, right? Only when there's forgiveness of sin does Hashem, uh, you know, give uh, good things. To give uh, goodwill towards the land. And that's understood as, right? Nasasa Avon is understood as that God has forgiven the sins to forgive in the sense of forgiving a debt. So this term mechila is a function of a few different things, right? First of all, it's a function of the shift towards understanding sin, the metaphor for sin being that of debt and the metaphor for atonement uh, or resolving sin being uh, God forgiving that debt. And it's also linguistically, um, the, the Aramaic shvak chov takes over in the second temple period and following that, mechal, which is its calc, its equivalent, the equivalent term of shvak in Aramaic is mechal in Hebrew, that takes over. And uh, Chazal, throughout Chazal's writing, are very into this idea, throughout, right? Again, chov uh, and schus, right? And there's the whole millions of examples here, like schus avos. What is schus avos? It's not like the avos did a good thing, therefore we get rewarded. No, schus avos means they have credit, right? The avos did good things. There's credit in our, uh, in our Jewish bank account, so to speak. That's what schus avos means. It means credit. Um, so again, schus chov, chayav, um, uh, puranus, all these terms, the Chazal understand sin as about debt and punishment is collecting on the debt and atonement is 
is mechila is forgiving the debt. And that's why it takes over in, in davening because that theme is, is such an important theme that it's not really expressed by kapara. It's not expressed by slicha. Slicha is very gen generic, right, to pardon. Uh, and kapara is specifically, well, it either means in a specific ritual sense or it becomes a synonym for slicha, but mechila carries this idea of, of uh, sin as debt and forgiving that sin. And that's why it becomes, uh, it becomes central. Nice quote here from Eliezer uh, Diamond and the, the overall system. Everyone can read on their own, but uh, we'll, um, I'm happy to take uh, questions now uh, with our remaining few minutes. I see there's one already written in the chat. Uh, I don't know if other people have, uh, others have questions they want to raise, but for now, we'll start, uh, we'll start with the question in the chat. The concept was mentioned in last night's lecture on forgiveness, which I, I was not at. Forgiveness means forgiving the debt. Okay, so they, uh, okay, we, we, we're on the same page here. Ideally, by paying back the debt, um, but there are times where God forgives the debt even though we have not paid the debt back. Right. So I think that those those two tracks exist uh, in in uh, Jewish tradition. Certainly, um, right. There's really three scenarios. One is where you don't do anything and God collects on the debt and punishes you. The other one is where you do the necessary uh, repentance and you earn it back. Or and maybe also maybe this two uh, B that you do schus, you do corresponding merits and you cancel out the debt. That's uh, you know probably less philosophical idea, more a unique, a unique uh, Jewish idea. Um, and then of course, there's the last option, which is what some of these, some of these cases are where, you know, you don't deserve it. Um, you don't, you didn't earn back your, your debt, but you sort of, you know, it's like, uh, it's like you plead with the person who lent you the money. You know, I know, I, I, I know I really shouldn't do this, but uh, you know, could you just forgive this loan or forget about the fact that I owe you or give me another two months to pay rent, right? Uh, that, you can that, and a lot of davening is that, right? We ask for mechila. When you when you're asking for mechila, it's, you're not earning it, right? If you were earning it, you wouldn't be asking for it. If you already earned it, you're you're asking for it because precisely because you think you might not have earned it, you might not be deserving of it, uh, and that's why you say, please, you know, mechala um, And uh, uh, so yeah, the, the the those two tracks and, and it's more than two tracks apply. Uh, but sometimes you're you, you're forgiven. You get mechila because you deserve it. Sometimes you get mechila because you don't deserve it. And sometimes you get punished. And sometimes you uh, you sort of you don't deserve it in terms of what you did, but you sort of earn it back from the side because debt money is fungible. Debt is fungible. And if sin is a debt, then sins and merits, uh, chovos and schuyos, can cancel each other out as well. And of course, we have this idea very explicitly in some sources in Chazal. The idea that we sort of look at you, right, this Kumar in uh, Yoma, and I think also Rosh Hashanah, that, uh, you know, they sort of, they weigh out all the, the mitzvos, all the schuyos and chovos, they weigh them out, and depends if it's one, you know, one mitzvah over the top, you get written l'chaim, and if it's one aver over the top, then you get, uh, then you get l'maves, right, so that idea implies that schuyos and chovos are fungible and can cancel one each other out, they're all, but they're all functioning on the same level, it's not like you did this aver, you did this mitzvah, they have nothing to do with each other. Each one's independent. No, they're really working on the same, on the same plane on a quantitative level. Uh, any other questions or uh, thoughts or comments? Uh, Ozzy, I don't think you're right. I don't think that if God gives you a freebie, you get payback uh, in death. I think you sometimes, again, you can't rely on it, but sometimes there are freebies. Uh, that's, uh, that's part of God's nature. God can forgive even if we don't deserve it. There's some explicit formulations like that. Um, Maybe we'll talk about this more next week. The plan next week is to get a little more explicitly philosophical. I'll try to uh, listen to Professor Quinn and uh, not repeat anything he said, but to try to uh, draw some more philosophical conclusions out of, uh, out of our sources that we've seen so far as we've studied Slicha, Michila, and Kapara. Any final comments or questions? Okay, I believe we're off next week because uh, Tuesday night would be complicated, um, but uh, we'll be back on two weeks from now, so everyone should have a Shana uh, Tova and a Rosh Hashanah full of Slicha, uh, Mechila, and Kapara, maybe, depending on how you understand the themes of the day, but certainly everyone should have it uh, either way, and uh, may their Schuyos override their Chovos uh, in, all, uh, in all ways. All right, be well, everyone. All right. Amen, amen, amen. As, as Rabbi Zuckier mentioned, we are going to be off next week, but we will see you again on the, on the following. Uh, you, if you are, you should, if you're in this room, you will get an email reminder. And 
Meanwhile, coming up on Thursday, we have another class at starting at 8 p.m., the second session of From Slecha to Avodah, an introduction to liturgical po poetry of Elul and the Amim Noraim with Mr. Yitzlander. It's been good to see everyone. Shana Tova. See you next year. <laughs>